Yeah, I mean, there's one thing that never changed um, is that I was always trying to achieve affordable help. That was always because I was in a startup with the beverage company and every time we wanted help, we would meet great people, but then when the quote would come, it would be expensive. And we'd be like, love to work with you, but this is definitely not something we can afford. And so I always wondered, why is it so hard to help early stage companies? Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really excited to have Vincent Biscay join me today. He's the founder of Step 2 Advisors and also a co-founder of Beyond Skew, which is the Northeast Accelerator for CPG Brands. So welcome to the podcast, Vincent. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Christy. It's really happy to be here. Awesome. I'm really excited. You have a lot of things to talk about because I think that Step 2 is a big deal and Beyond Skew, I know, is a really big deal. So where would you like to start? Do you want to start by telling us about your background and then we can go into the things you're working on right now? That'd be great. Yes, I've done a few things to get where I am today. So, But the ones that I'm doing right now that are closer to my heart are really supporting CPG startups. But to get there, my background is a little different than other peers, I think, because I started in investment banking as a commodity trader in the capital markets. And I thought my career was going to be just banking and being in, on the trading floor for 30, 40 years. I did it for about 10. And I decided to take a year off just to travel and perhaps explore another bank because I, I had been uh, uh, very faithful and stayed with one with the same company for 10 years and thought perhaps I could go to a competitor or a hedge fund, etc. While I was thinking of all of this, I talked to a couple of friends and they had started a beverage venture a year and a half prior to this. And eventually those conversations led to them asking me if I could join them as a partner and become, I guess, an entrepreneur, not necessarily by choice, but by opportunity. And I thought, okay, I think it's something I'll never be able to experience again if I stay in, in banking all my life and let's go for it. Obviously it didn't happen instantly. It took me months to make the jump, but here I was, I suppose, partner in a beverage a cold press juice company in 2014. And I learned so much with them and that led me to fall in love with food and beverage industry in particular. And a couple of years later, I started Step2 Advisors as a way to help other founders. And we can talk about this further on how I got from point A to where I am today, because there were many iterations. Um, but that's what really, yeah, yeah. that's really, I went from a finance background to an entrepreneurial background into a consulting industry, into the consulting industry. And, and that's where I am today. So the finance to entrepreneur, were you unhappy with the finance job? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you just bumped into something else. You're absolutely right. There's no story about a Lehman Brothers layoff or yeah. a crisis in my industry. It was a excellent 10 years, had a great life. It was really more the curiosity. And uh, when the opportunity came to me, I thought if I say no, no worries, but will I regret it? Will my life be boring? Will, you know, will I just miss out? We only stay here for what, 90 years? <laughs> Might as well do 
Yeah. You know, might, might as well do different things. And it was a huge risk if, you know, that's the answer to your question. Huge yeah, risk. Yeah, seems like it would have been a big risk. And what was your experience? Like, was that Love Grace? Was that the juice brand that you were working with? That's, that's right. What was your experience like with that? It was very difficult to sit down the first day with, you know, white sheet of paper and trying to bring your business background, your finance background grown, I suppose, but into something very operational, very small, wearing many hats, the, what you hear all the time from most entrepreneurs. Um, it was very scary, but luckily I was with friends and we all got our backs and we just went for sales, procurement, production, design, and just try to make it happen. And it worked out. It worked out. The first year and a half I was there, the company grew 3x. And the reason I pivoted, I suppose, into the consulting world is because we ran out of money and it was difficult to grow that fast without a plan, a financial plan. And I was the one who came from finance. So a little bit ironic, I didn't know exactly how it works in food and beverage world or in any company, to be honest. So I had to come to realization, I have the skills, but I don't have the experience. And so I got the experience by doing it. But it was a bit difficult for us to get money at the last minute. My partners continued the journey, tightened their belts, and were able to make it a success. And I thought I could do something great as well, my own business, but with what I had learned with them. That's so interesting. What made you decide to go into consulting versus either sticking with that brand or starting another brand? Was the entrepreneur thing not for you so much? or That's actually right. Before starting step two and during that transition, I thought, I think I have the skill set to launch a brand. I certainly understand the challenges and we've made so many mistakes. I know the players and the people that could help us, but I couldn't find a good idea. So I didn't want to force it. I decided, you know, I'm not just going to go into launching a brand if I'm not 100% sure that it's going to be a success. And But I still wanted to stay in the space. I really fell in love with the space. So I actually asked friendly founders that I had, uh, you know, friends I had made along the way in all the trade shows, et cetera. And I was asking them, do you need anything? What are your needs? And until I found someone or, or some needs where I felt like I could help them. And actually my first client was something like that. It was more like, let me help you out. And that was actually Blue Marble ice cream, one of the leading organic ice creams in the country. Not a lot of ice creams are 100% organic, and they were the first ones actually in the US, if I'm not mistaken, uh, over 10 years ago. But long story short, I started like that with the founder who said, I need someone to help me doing business development, a little bit of finance. It was very, very different from the structured company that we are now at step two and with our services. So I started doing business development and just trying to help every, everywhere I could. That's so interesting. And what about the industry did you fall in love with? I'm curious to know that. What made you say, okay, I'm still not going to go back to what I was doing? Oh, I think this one is easy for me. It's the people primarily. When you're in banking, you could have you know great colleagues, et cetera, but it's just not necessarily the best environment to, to thrive on a human level, right? Mm -hmm. And in the food and beverage industry, you may have competitors, but it doesn't matter. Everybody is extremely helpful with each other. There's a lot of energies, very human. There's really nothing like it, probably more than tech or other industries or fashion. So that I was like, if I can spend my, the rest of my life with that environment can only be you know, beneficial. So that was the main thing. It's interesting that you're saying that because I've talked to so many people who say this is a great industry with a great group of people. Like the startup community in CPG is just filled with people who seem to be truly 
wanting to collaborate with each other to help. It's amazing. I haven't actually seen anything else like it either. It's pretty cool. So I, I really get that. You talked about being unstructured at the beginning and now really having a process that step two takes brands through. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, there's one thing that never changed um, is that I was always trying to achieve affordable help. That was mm-hmm. always because I was in a startup with the beverage company. And every time we wanted help, we would meet great people. But then when the quote would come, it would be expensive. And we'd be like, love to work with you, but this is definitely not something we can afford. And so I always wondered, why is it so hard to help early stage companies? So I didn't have it figured out at all, but I knew I had to find helpful things to do for brands and at a relatively cheap price where they don't have to think twice to get started. I stayed with the Blue Marble ice cream for, I think, a year, almost a year and a half. My first client was really almost a full-time job. But then when that big project came to an end, I started picking up smaller clients, shorter projects, and I had to create a structure. And that was maybe five years ago. And today it's very different in the sense that it's a lot more, I guess, professional. I know exactly what clients want. Just to share a statistic, we worked with over a hundred companies in the last four years or something like that. So that provides so many experiences that you very quickly know what's working and what's not working. So today we have, you know, CFO support. I think I have a Word document with a a scope of work that has like 30 bullet points and I can pick and choose the ones that make sense for the clients. And then based on how many they need and the time they need, we adjust the quote. So we make it just the right price for what they need. It's very customized. And we also do investor decks and that's pretty much it. Really try to be very focused. Now, it's probably the first time I'm talking about it. And I don't know if it's good luck or bad luck to talk about it before it's official, but we are working on a new set of services, completely new set, where we are going to support some small funds in the space. Funds are very important for the CPG community, especially early stage funds, which are pretty scarce. As you know, all the entrepreneurs, they're always looking for money. Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing they get from the venture capital or, or the funds that could really bring strategic help, et cetera, is you have to do a million or two in sales. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm miles away. I'll try, but how do I get there? Yeah. And so they always say, you know, friends and family, find some wealthy people, angel investing. That's really hard. That's the, the only way available out there. Recently, and I don't want to digress, but recently I've seen a lot of funds try to take a bit more risk and come in early. Yeah, And that is extremely positive and great for the uh, industry. Of course, the risk is on the investors that do that, but those funds are smaller. Let's say they raise 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 million. And so they're a small structure. And so we're going to launch services to support them on things that if they had more people like several analysts, they would have them do it, but we could do it. So for example, you know, managing their spreadsheets to understand their allocation of capital, their returns, how the brands are doing, trying to to just support them with their portfolio and things like that. So hopefully this launches in September, but otherwise for the first five years, it was just a a nice progress to get to something, to answer your initial question. That's basically, we're not really changing our services on the CFO side because we've experimented so many times that we know that's exactly what customers need. So when you think about supporting the small funds, 
Will you help them evaluate brands as well? And, or is it really, yeah? Certainly. Yep. It's going to be part of, I think we have about four sub-services and we're still figuring this out to make it you know official soon. But one of the sub-services is definitely due diligence because mm-hmm. we do this all the time. As we sit on the brand side and they go raise money, they lean on us to support them and to train them and to prep them before negotiating with investors. So we are very comfortable with that due diligence process. There's no reason why not doing it on the other side of the table when funds need to evaluate. If they're a small fund, they don't have enough people to seal the deals. So there's going to be definitely that need. I I see it. And we could look at more deals and then quickly say, yes, no, these you should spend more time on. And then we can come up with uh, some screening items and should be pretty easy for us to do and taking a lot of hours off their plate. That's interesting. Are there other companies that are doing that that you know of right now? I mean, you're the first person I've talked about who's sort of, it's almost like a buyer and seller agent in real estate in a way, right? You're doing both things. I don't think a lot of people do it. And that's why I think it's going to work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So talk about what you think, given the experience you've had over the past few years, what does it take to make a brand really successful? Well, a lot of things are needed for a brand to be successful. As as you know, you can have brands that have the best idea, but the execution is poor. You can have brands that have, or founders that have a poor idea, but they're very good at marketing and somehow you wouldn't have bet a penny and it turns out to be a success. But I think from where I'm sitting, and especially in these kind of challenging times, I would say, um, the finance function of a startup was always something that was a nice to have in the past. At least when I started seven years ago, and definitely before that, a founder would probably look at just a bookkeeper. And even that, they would probably do their books themselves as far as they can take them, as many years as they can. The books would be a mess, then they would get a bookkeeper who would clean the mess. But that's really the extent of the investment into a financial function. Today, finance is all the way up there with sales. Because usually it's like all the money goes to salesperson because that's what you need to do. Sales, then if you're lucky and have a bit of money, operations and then marketing or something like that. But then the rest is really just don't have time for it. Now, because of COVID and then because of the impact on the supply chain, inflation, et cetera, we are getting calls left and right of people saying, and they're pretty small companies and they're like, we would like to do some hourly work with you or something every month to have a sounding voice. So To answer your question on what I've seen companies do that made them more successful, that's not today. That's been from many years ago. The ones that would focus on bringing someone to help them with finance would probably live longer because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, cash flow, managing funds, negotiating terms, doing the right investment decisions or expense decisions, all of that is critical. So for me, it's common sense, but it wasn't in the industry until a couple no, of years. No, I mean, in a year or two ago, there was money flowing all over the place and you didn't have to be profitable and you didn't have to worry about so much, whether your cost of goods at the beginning mattered. It didn't matter as much as it does now. Like there's so many things I think that people are talking about right now, as far as barriers to getting funded that didn't exist a couple of years ago. And I think that's interesting intersection for you to be at because you really understand that side of it. Yep, I agree with you 100%. If founders can understand the word, not the word, but how to really calculate that runway, mm-hmm. yes. I think, and constantly reevaluating their runway, if you're ahead of that, you're going to really put all the chances in your, on your side. I think, yeah. and runway, what does it mean for me? I mean, I break it down in, in like a tree. To understand your runway, you need to have a, a financial model or some sort of projections, and they need to be as good as they can. Then once you have that, you need to tie that with how much money you have. 
And all the decisions you make need to be really aligned with your model. And if you do the right decisions and if you've forecasted your sales okay, the runway you had in mind was accurate. But if things change, you need to just recalculate and your runway can increase or decrease. And if you Mm -hmm. constantly understand that and make adjustments, you're just extending your life, the life of the company. And that's, I think, for me, the most important thing for a company. But of course, there's dozens, right? So I'd like to emphasize this one for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more important now than it ever has been too. And I think that typically, I mean, there are some entrepreneurs that are have finance backgrounds, but mostly they're people with ideas and not necessarily ways. Like I've talked to so many entrepreneurs who say, I had no idea what I was doing. I just did it. I didn't really know what I didn't know. And in some ways that really helped me. And then at some point it doesn't help anymore. Yeah. That's fair. That's totally yeah. fair. Interesting. What do you think? I want to get to the beyond skew as well. So I think they're sort of related. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, of course. I mean, I've always wanted to, when you're in the consulting world, of course you want to make money, but if initially the reason you want to do it is you want to help, right? And that's how I started. I didn't even know if I was going to make it a business or a successful business. So initially you want to help. And constantly in your career, you have opportunities to help. And Beyond Skew was that opportunity for me, how to pay it forward, how to launch something with no idea if it's going to work, but with the main goal is to support brands a little bit more hands-on. So SKU in Austin is the leading accelerator program in the country. The brands that came out of that are amazing. The ones that are famous, Orabora, Siete, Epic Bar, Seaweed Bath Company, Austin East Side are great. But every year there's five or six brands and they're in the 11th year. So there's an ecosystem of over 75 companies and it's just beautiful to watch what they've done there. And three years ago, I was approached by Eric Schnell, who's the co-founder of Steez, Organic Ice Tea, Good Catch, Plant-Based Seafood, and currently runs his agency called Beyond Brands. And he was a mentor in Austin a certain year, came back from this experience and talked to some of his friends in New York and said, we should do this here. There's no accelerator like this in New York that takes four, five, six brands for three months and every single week works with them, hands-on with a group of of experts and takes them to the next level. Who's in? So I raised my hand and we created an LLC, partnered with SKU. It's a joint venture. Uh, They're instrumental in obviously all the learnings that they had done themselves on how to do things. We were able to kind of download that. Mm -hmm. Then we added our own secret sauce and we brought a group. The, The way it works, by the way, is with mentorship. And each year you have 30 to 40 mentors that are across all verticals of the industry, obviously experts in their field, and they come together to help this cohort. And then each year, you may have some of the mentors that are the same that want to do it again and and new mentors coming in. So we used our network and another startup, basically. We went for it. And now we're going to be in our fourth year and graduated 16 companies and have incredible mentors from a super strategic corporate level, you know, like think uh, Nestle, Mondelez, to a CEO of startups that are successful, to people working in startups, VP of sales, CMOs, et cetera. So it's just a really good bunch of people that come together and help those startups, which we need to select every year, which is also very difficult. And there's a whole process with applications and interviews and things like that. Yeah, it sounds like it must. What are, you said 16 companies that you've launched so far. Are there any that you want to talk about? 
Sure. I mean, I'm sure if I, I can't name all the 16, but if I name just two or three, some won't be happy, but there's plenty of amazing brands. There's cold brewed coffee with a company called Oaza that does cold brewed coffee cans, but with electrolytes in them, trying to compensate mm-hmm. for the dehydration that coffee yep. creates. There's a husband and wife uh, created a company called Fabulish, and they initially made falafel with chickpeas, but the falafel soaking in water creates this water called aquafaba. And instead of throwing it out and creating this byproduct and just dumping it, they can use it as an emulsifier. And so they create dips with it. So vegan dips like mayonnaise and ranch sauce, et cetera, but they don't need to put eggs or anything like it because they use the water from the chickpea soaking. So a nice upcycling company. There's a couple of beverages that are very cool. Also, there's a half day, two college buddies that created a line of kind of gut healthy tonics. They're really nice in flavor and really cool branding. True Moringa is an amazing company. I mean, I I could speak about them for hours. They have thousands of farmers that they help lift out of poverty in Ghana, in Africa, by helping them plant Moringa trees, selling their crops. And then they have a beauty brand and they sell the ingredients as well to food manufacturers or other beauty brands in the US. And yeah, I could go on and on. So obviously, uh, sorry for those that I'm not mentioning. (laughs) No, that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot going on there too. So how do you balance those two things? It's not easy, but you know, when I mentioned the concept of paying it forward is that certainly you have to put some of your personal time into doing things for the community. And so the balancing act is really when the program is on, it's three months, it's every week, a whole day, or I would say a, a long afternoon every week, plus meetings in between. So I guess it's anything from, I would say it's probably 10 to 15 hours a week. So it's wow. a big wow. chunk, but that's yeah. only for three months. And then the other nine months, probably a bit lighter, maybe five hours a week where, well, you promote the program, you do events. And then of course you have the application process when that starts, you do the interviews. And there's a lot of stuff in the background, a lot of legal accounting and paperwork to tie those brands together. Because there's also an equity component. We provide a lot of services. We write a little check, we take a little piece of each company so that everyone is incentivized to help them also beyond the program. Mm -hmm. Hence the name, Beyond Skew. I love it. Love the connection. What's been the biggest challenge for you up to now? I think probably step two more than Beyond Skew, right? Because that's sort of a different animal. But what's the biggest challenge for you with step two? I think running a fractional CFO company, I think it has similar challenges as any startup, really. For example, staffing. I mean, staffing is everything. My business is a business of I'm selling people's time, right? So when you are a company with 10 employees and you lose one, you go in the market, try to find another one. We're actually four people now, which I'm very proud of. It's one of my, I guess, one of my personal successes. But if I lose one person, I lose 25% of my team. And it's not exactly one for one, but I could lose 25% of my business. And it's not, and you don't replace someone overnight to take on other clients. There's a, a lot of, personal relationships. And luckily, I don't expect a lot of turnaround, but it's something that keeps me up at night. So this, I guess, staffing and that uncertainty is one of the biggest challenge, but uncertainty is definitely common to all entrepreneurs, right? Anything you do, should I hire first and get clients later? Or should I have so many clients that everybody's working overtime and is not having a great life, but then when we're comfortable that we can bring someone on, then we do it. So this would mean a lot of stress every time you scale. So these are types of uh, questions that I ask myself constantly. And yeah, so I guess that that's really the challenge. Finding clients was difficult at the beginning, but now knock on wood, six, seven years in, 
with the reputation of the company and amazing partners, peers that, you know, lawyers, creative companies, even other entrepreneurs are past clients. There's a lot of referrals. I probably get one or two referrals a week. And I think that I wouldn't have said that six, seven years ago, if you had asked me, where do you think you're going to get most of your clients? I would have said trade shows, events, and then perhaps referrals, and then perhaps cold calling, cold emailing. We never really had to go into the cold calling, cold emailing yet, because the first two took care of the rest, but the referrals are definitely predominant in how we get business. So always important to get your name out there, do the best you can, do a good job, and keep in touch with your clients and talk to your peers, and it works out. Yeah. When you think about where you want to be in a couple of years, where do you want your company to be? Oh, that's a great question. I actually asked myself that question. So in the month of June, I so I recently had a baby. And in the month of June, my wife and I were from France. So we went back to France for the longest period I've been away from New York, which is 30 days. Now I didn't take 30 days off. Obviously we can't, we're entrepreneurs, but I did have a lot of, I carved myself a lot of free time and I was able to think about all these things, which is very hard when you're an entrepreneur. You, you, it's really hard to find time to think about the big picture because you're so much working and operating. So that it was something I will definitely do again, whether it's for a, a trip or just to try to find time for myself, because what it helped me do is think about where do I want to take this and what is the next step? And no pun intended. And <laughs> turns out that my vision currently, which I think is, is clear today, but may always change, is to continue to build my team one quality person at a time. And with each person coming on board, it means an additional five, six clients. And I want to take this where it will be you know, almost like a legal practice. Mm -hmm. I want to be still boutique, but have a team of 10, 15, 20, 25 people and start creating you know, different ranks and have people overseeing other people and everybody helping each other and, and training and having a supervision and things like that. What happens after that? I'm not sure. What I noticed is I don't think we have a lot of competition given how early we're starting to help companies. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something we didn't talk about yet today, but I did say one thing, which is that I always wanted to help early stage startups, but how early... Some of our clients have zero sales, zero dollars, and they don't know anything about what is going to happen, except they have an idea. Maybe they already have a product. And I think this is the most difficult. And that's why larger consulting firms don't really play in that area because there's so much heavy lifting. And if you haven't had an entrepreneurship background, you may not have the right people yeah. to do it, to be honest. And so I think if we bring our company to a certain size, we could become and be integrated to the larger ones that I really don't see as competition. I can name some of them, Propellers, Stage One. They're fantastic for companies that are a little bit more further along. And I think they're potentially missing you know, a department or a division that is kind of that early stage or entry level. And the services are different. And the amount of handholding and support is, is higher. And I think I know how to do that. And I, if I can scale that, there's a really interesting opportunity there to, to yeah. partner with the bigger guys. What do you think about, like when you think about services that the brands that you're working with at that super early stage need, what are you offering them aside from fractional CFO, which is obviously very important, but is there more? Yeah, I think there is more, certainly. I use the words fractional CFO because that's... People understand that. Yes. Exactly. But my personal opinion is that startups don't need a CFO for years, even probably fractional. A CFO probably comes in when you are over 10 million in sales. You definitely need a bookkeeper, and then the next level is a controller, and yep. then you need someone 
who's as a CFO skill set, but probably not. You don't need to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year on on that yearly salary plus bonus and stuff until you're really bigger. But so anyway, the umbrella is that CFO services. But really, as I mentioned the scope earlier, when you break it down, those small companies, what they need is a simple model, a model that if they don't have a finance background at all, they wouldn't know where to start on how to project some of the things they're doing. And they need also that financial brain. Some people are creative, some people are operators. And if you don't have in your founding team, someone that is really good with numbers, you know, it's just challenging. So having that is very reassuring and allows you to make better decisions. So what we do is really try to, like I said before, custom, try to tailor what they need based on their size. And sometimes it could be as simple as a three-year model. Usually we do five years and it's usually for people that want investment, but we could do something a lot smaller and put the numbers there and they don't know the inputs. They don't know what are the velocities in their category, but we do. They don't know how much it costs to get some fractional help on marketing, but we do. We have some benchmarks And so that is usually where we start is just start putting that business plan together with them and help them put their thoughts, their vision into numbers. Not very sexy, but very useful. It is though. It's so important right now. Like you can't, I don't think you could survive as a brand if you can't make that happen at the moment. Maybe a few years ago you could. Yeah. You mentioned that some people would just go straight in and see what happens. And in some cases it would work out. Today, it's a little bit more difficult. And you know, the stats are, are, are horrific for entrepreneurs. Is like one out of 10 does something. So now it's probably zero, you know, half a company out of 10 does something because it's a little bit more challenging. I'm pretty optimistic that in a year, things will start to clear up, but I don't want to start talking about the economy and things like that right now. Having said that, those entrepreneurs, one of the things that we do is that if they're too small and can't afford some of the things we do, and if the team has the bandwidth, we really try to do something hourly, which also mm-hmm. is is pretty rare, but with a set number of hours. Difference is when you go into hourly, it's actually usually the opposite. It's scary. What right. if they just tell right. me at the end of the month, you spent 40 hours and I have to pay thousands of dollars? Yeah. Well, no, we say not only it's hourly, but what you need and what we're going to do for you, it's going to be give or take five hours, give mm-hmm. or take three hours. We really want to quote something that has a caplet. Yes. And so they, they know what they're getting into. And we've always been very good at not going over that. And the last thing I want to say is obviously leaning on my entrepreneurial experience is something that early stage founders love because they're able to talk to me about actually everything except finance. You know, they, they can talk to me about their pain points in trying to go in production. And a co-packer quoted this, is this a fair price? And I have to do some legal work. What do you think it's worth? Who do you recommend can help me? And there's a recommendation for different steps and different price points and different size of companies. So we're not affiliated with anyone, but we certainly recommend this broker is great. He's independent. He'll take you places for the first year. But if you have a bit more money, you should go with this group. And if you have a lot more money, you should go with this group. And so I think those decisions, when they're so hard to do, or when you don't know who to talk to, we're kind of like the yellow pages. That's amazing. Amazing. What's your favorite part of what you're doing of all the things you get tapped into for? What's the thing you enjoy the most? I get a lot of satisfaction when we sign a new client. It's a very short period of time, but I like to say, oh, this last week we signed two clients. That felt really good. Now the work starts and my team is going to be busy on that. And it's going to take a month, a month and a half. These are like two small projects, but I still get the execution part is something that shows that things are good and creates a bit more uh, energy for me personally. And then I think 
making my team happy is high up there. I always ask them how they're doing. I always ask them if they are overworked. I ask them if a client is difficult. And when the answer is yes, I step right in, mm-hmm. even though I maybe it's three months in and I've had two meetings with the client. I go right in and I get my hands dirty, look at the spreadsheets, understand, talk to them for an hour and try to just even take some of the work off them for a week. And then, but it's very important for me because we're people's business, especially yeah. as a consultant. And so, you know, when people are unhappy, sometimes they don't express it. That's tr- yeah. true in every industry or in any, even in large companies. And so I want to have to keep a pulse. I want to know that they're okay, that they're happy. And I don't expect them to necessarily tell me. I ask them to tell me, but I don't expect it. And so I want to go and get that information just in case. Yeah, that's amazing. You've been so generous with your time. I have one more question for you. If you could give one or two pieces of advice to founders and entrepreneurs, what would it be? I don't want to repeat myself, but certainly don't neglect your finances. Yeah, no, it's important. (laughs) You know, put in place, I mean, numbers are the backbone of their company, whether they know it or not yet. Any successful business will have had a strong, you know, financial support. So you can have the best product in the world, a lot of good people, even capital. You can raise a lot of money. You can still mess up if you don't know how to manage your cash flow and have good reporting. So if I had to pick one thing, I would say that. And I'm, obviously, I'm not biased. I know it's true and I know it works. And to tie to what you just asked me earlier, another of, of my satisfactions is when we actually bring this for the first time to a client and then we see the results, whether they successfully raised when they were not in a good shape and get decent terms because the investors saw what something that they started trusting or had confidence in. That little things like that, that makes me feel really good about myself and the team because we feel that if it wasn't for us and of course, everything else in the company that's attractive, some of these partnerships or deals wouldn't happen. So again, pay attention to your finances and it doesn't need to be expensive, but you have to start as soon as you can to have some minimal support and then grow that support when you grow your company. I think it's really interesting that you said, uh, there are a couple of things you said that I think are really important. One is you talked about runway and that feels like something that people should be able to talk about when you're going into an investor meeting or you're going in, right? And I don't think that's something that's a really common term. And I don't think people, especially founders who are just visionaries, I don't think they necessarily know what that means or know when the runway is running out. And so that's why, as you said, all of a sudden you run out and you have nothing and you can't go move forward anymore. I think understanding that. And then what you said about confidence, like, I think that's going to become increasingly more important as things tighten up over the next two years, like having the confidence to go and say, I know my finances. I know where this company's headed. Here's how we're going to do it. That feels like a game changer to me for people at this moment in time. I think you're right. And I hope you can be that tiny element that helps yeah. you know, flip the decision in the right direction, certainly. So I would be like that if I was an investor in this environment. I would try yeah. to add as many elements to a decision that I can that you know, gives me that confidence. And I think yeah. having a financial partner is that. And so yeah, I can only agree with you. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Do you want to just give a little bit of how people can reach out to you if they want to work with you? Absolutely. So our website is pretty straightforward, step2advisors.com, and it's all in letters. I'll share that with you as well, obviously, afterwards. My email is just my first name, Vince 
Hudson at step2advisors.com and everyone in the team as some of them are on the website and I'm still updating the website. I need to add some more, more teammates, but they're all like first name at, and that's really the best way. And we do many calls. We're very available and we do a lot of free advice, 30 minutes, an hour. We really don't mind. It's also part of being in this industry. If you're not cool with that, then you're not in the right, the yeah. right industry. So we, like I said, we all take probably two or three calls a week and we're four people. So if you just need advice and give us very specific problems you need to solve, we'd love to try to help in that phone call. And whether it materializes into something or not, we, we don't really, really care. So. Amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. You've been really generous with it and I appreciate it. And I think this is just going to be such a good resource for a lot of the listeners that we have. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope it's helpful for people uh, listening. I'm sure it will be. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.